Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan that is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contractor commitment, and you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order. Promo code, capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being, and I have this myself. This saves me time and energy, and I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask questions and I answer them as best as I can. So here we go. Thank you so much for asking. Today I have a couple of questions from Laura Hill customer is her handle. First of all, she asked me, how do you feel about chaturanga to plank? So I think what she's referring to is, I know what she's referring to, but for the non-yogi, it's a low push-up, which is called chaturanga. So imagine you're going from plank, bending the elbows, they go straight back as opposed to out to the side. And then you lower and from that position, your elbows are bent. And I always recommend going no lower than the head of your humerus is in line with your elbows if you're going to go and hold on to chaturanga. Sometimes you go and you pause in that position and then you continue to the floor. Usually chaturanga is a way of uh, preparing you for the next stage, which is up dog. So it sets you up for this cobra-like position off the floor. And you're asking, how do I feel about chaturanga to plank? I think it's great. It's a reverse. It's what I would call is a reverse push-up. So in lowering, say, from plank to chaturanga, what you do if you do this well, and this is what I'm tr- I try and teach in my classes and in my teacher trainings, is you're setting yourself up for you're lowering with eccentric control. Eccentric is where 
the muscles are being lengthened. So in this case, the triceps um, are being lengthened and the demand on them is to control the descent of the joint um, in, in, when it's link, when it's the muscle is, is lengthening. So when you lower, when, when, when sometimes you see, I'm sure you've seen people and they're lowering from plank to the floor and it just looks like they kind of dive bomb without control. So that would be an example of they're not using their, the eccentric control of the triceps. They're not really using the isometric or stabilization control of the core muscles, which are all the muscles that surround the ribs, the scapula, the shoulder, uh, the rest of the shoulder and the, the spine, the pelvis and controlling that. So there's not this kind of spillage of the pelvis and the ribs and the dive bombing. So that's the advantage of going slowly and with control on the way from plank to chaturanga. The advantage of going from chaturanga back to plank is you're doing the opposite. You're working the triceps concentrically where the muscle is shortening. It's extending the elbow. You're pressing into the floor, but you still are working with gravity. Um, gravity is against you. And so uh, it's pushing you down. And so as you press into the floor, you're pressing against gravity to straighten the elbow. At the same time, you have to keep the core strong so that you have that center is not dropping or, or relaxing or drooping to the floor. So it's, it's a great um, exercise. What I like to do is lower, pause, straighten the elbows, come back up. And do that over and over again. So your the neuromuscular firing is becoming more sophisticated. It knows I'm lowering with control. I've got to hold the core strong. My triceps have to fire to control the descent of my shoulder, the head of my arm bones to the floor. But I'm not going to the floor. I'm going to that low push-up. And then I come back up. It's a great thing. However, is it done well, executed well? No. So you can still do a movement, but it could be suboptimally performed. So in that case, um, it, that's where the instruction from the teacher is crucial. I would have somebody go really slow and I would first do this with the knees down. Take out some of the weight and load of the pelvis and make sure that a person can lower and then straighten the elbows again back up into plank with control. And that control is going to look like the spine stays stable. It doesn't get all arched in the middle. Uh, the, the ribs aren't spilling out. The head is in line with the rest of the spine as opposed to dropping lower than it. The chin isn't lifting up. So there's a lot of ways people compensate. So what I'm much more interested in is not just, oh, how do you like, how do you feel about this? doing this movement, I'm much more interested in how is that movement performed? How is that movement instructed? How are we giving, as instructors, how are we giving people the feedback and the the knowledge of how to execute this and perform it well? And so I would always start with the knees to the floor. So I hope that helps you, Laura. You also ask, what are thoughts about posture while riding a bicycle? I was riding my bike today and kept finding myself automatically, thanks to you, going to very straight arms and neutral scapula rather than elbows pointed out and scapula protracting. What are your thoughts? Well, I think my thoughts first are for biking, the position of you on a bike is going to be just different. You know, it's going to be 
you can't maintain your ideal upright posture on a bike because most of the time, depending on the type of bike, you're going to be flexed at the hip. What That's what I would be more interested in the position is how to flex at your hip so that your spine stays as extended as possible. And that it's not that your spine is flexing. And that is, there's probably going to be a degree of flexion in the spine for a lot of people in, on their bike. So what I would look at is um, the, it, not so much the, pro, the protraction, I think is going to ultimately happen because for those, especially those types of speed bikes, you're really kind of coming into some thoracic flexion. But can you support that in the front with the abdominals working and then driving the legs from a uh, from that flexed hip and a fairly neutral pelvis. So those are the things that I would more than uh, more than the position of the scapula be interested in doing. I hope that helps. So just imagine you're on your bike, you're flexed, you're engaged in your core, and if you are a little bit flexed in the thoracic spine, so that your scapula seem to be rounded or protracted, that's okay as long as you're pulling in the abdominals. The, the bike is inevitably going to set you up for some not great positioning because you also are going to be a little bit flexed and in, in then in the neck and have to lift your chin, which can make the back of your neck muscles quite short and, and, and grumpy. So I would just say, figure out ways, just like if you were sitting, that you can change up your biking position. I remember when I was biking cross country with my husband you know, I would consciously listen to my body. Okay. It's getting a little bit kind of tired in this position. So I'm going to sit more upright or I'm going to get up off the saddle and draw, you know, do like some running, um, with my hands straight underneath my, my shoulders, right on top of my wrist and my spine up right there. So I think that that's, that's important to do. And a lot of these biking classes will do that, but on the road, you have to do it yourself. All right. Moving on from there. The yogi, yogini on wheels ask recently sharp tension pain in the back of the knee when doing one legged knee flexion and extension in plank. Any ideas? I would have to see what you're, what's going on behind the knee. Behind the knee, there is a popliteus is a muscle there, but there's also room for a big bursa there, the popliteal bursa that lives behind that muscular junction between the joint space and the bursa. And so sometimes when that flexion extension happens that you're talking about knee bending, knee straightening, and you feel pain behind there, you could be getting um, swelling in your joint capsule and it just pushes the only direction, the only space for that swelling to go is back. So what I'd be more interested in seeing is what's happening at your hip. Is your pelvis neutral? Are you flexing at the hip well so that you're not driving your femur, your thigh into the knee? Anytime you have that feeling in the back of the knee, I that's the first thing I would look at is what is the position of the pelvis? And so if you're in a if you're in a plank and you feel it, what is the position of your pelvis? Because if you're anteriorly tilted, then you're pushing that joint capsule back more into the popliteal region. So you need to get that pelvis in neutral, work the core to hold it in neutral, and then activate the hip muscles more so that when you straighten and bend the knee, 
there isn't any pressure going into the knee because the hip is doing the movement. I hope that makes sense. But that is always the first thing I would look at is what is the position of your pelvis and reflexing well at your hip. Yase Brasse asks, pain in the QL, which is quadrius lumborum, what is normally the cause? Well, my friend, uh, quadrius lumborum is one of those that, uh, so for, for those of you who don't know, the quadrius lumborum is a paired grip of muscle, meaning you have one on each side that detaches from the back rim of the pelvis and goes up to your lower rib cage. So you can imagine if you see yourself, if you see somebody from the back, you see their spine and then you see like the waist, like the line of their waist, which is on this indicative of the back rim of the pelvis. And if you were just to put your hands on either side of the spine going up to the rib, that's the that's essentially where the QL resides. So the quadratus lumborum is a really important back stabilization muscle. It, it stabilizes the pelvis so the back can move when, when it works together, like left and right together are working to kind of extend the spine and stabilize the pelvis. And when they work separately, so just say your left side, it's side bends. So if I was um, bringing my, shortening my left side waist, and hiking that left hip, that's that's working the QL. So the QL is going to get mechanically shortened in two different ways. One, if you're sitting or standing with a big arch in your low back and your pelvis is tipping forward. So imagine your pelvis, um, the front side of the pelvis is just kind of tipped forward like you were pouring a glass forward. The ribs push forward and the belly pushes out. That's anterior tilted pelvis. And when you can feel when you do that, so say you're sitting on your sit bones and you rock on the front of your sit bones, you can feel how your ribs naturally move forward in front and they move together in back, meaning the back ribs move toward that rim of the pelvis. And that shortens the QL. So then imagine sitting like that, standing like that, moving like that all the time. So the QL is in chronic shortened position, and that's called a positional tightness. Then there's, you add on to that movement of your, like say in yoga or something, where you're reaching your arms up, you're in, you're in plank position, your things like that, where your spine is extended and you're trying to get extension in your hips. And instead, what do you do? You shorten that area more and you move your leg, you move your hips, your leg from movement of the back. So then you get the mechanical restriction as well. So you're overly working a muscle, doing it in a working from that muscle in lieu of working something else. So people with very weakened glute maximus often will have a mechanical or tightness in their QL. Now, who knows what comes first, right? The position, you put yourself in the position, anterior tilt, you're automatically dialing down your glute maximus from extending the hip. So you will recruit your back more. You'll recruit your erector spinae and the QL. So that's one reason the QL gets tight, is either the position of it or the firing of it. The other position, the other way, 
And, and that would be from anterior tilt. The other option is that you are rounded a lot. You're slouched a lot, usually from in your chair. It could be that you're slouched standing. But think about if you're sitting you know, six to eight hours a day and you're slouching back. So think about you're closing off your front body. So your sternum, your chest is going rounding down and you're slouching and rounding your back. So in some ways, feels like the QL is stretching. It is. If, if It is. like It's kind of like a cat position. But if you are positionally slouching, your QL is put on a lengthened position and it has to constantly hold that. This is like the upper trapezius is kind of the analogous. If it's lengthened constantly, it will feel like it's actually tight like shortened and you think, oh, I got to stretch this, but you actually don't need to. It's like you've been overly lengthening it and it can feel like it's because it's constantly just trying to hold your rib cage from continuing to press backwards. So the number one thing to do for that, so there's, that's, a, that's a long answer for why your QL is, is tight. <laughs> there's, a, and then over, in addition to all of that, Overlying this is a thickened thoracodorsal fascia. So there's an area in the body, there's certain areas in the body where the fascia becomes even more taut because there's that's an area of energy exchange. One is right around the plantar fascia into the Achilles tendon. So from the bottom of your foot across your heel into your calf is a huge source of energy exchange. So there's a lot of thickened fascia there. And then at the, from the pelvis, base of the pelvis into the back. It's also across the glutes a little bit. And that's the thoracodorsal fascia. So you also have these, this, these areas that are, that are thicker connective tissue. And so if you have some kind of mechanical re- restriction, it can be worse in those areas. So if you can have shortened Achilles tendon that, that has the same feeling of that QL. So the first thing to do is check the position of your posture. This is why I am ad nauseum talking about posture, because if you aren't standing in, with a good posture, neutral pelvis, neutral spine, you will pull on these muscles, the QL, either by shortening them with anterior tilt, tilted pelvis or by overly lengthening them with a posterior tilted pelvis, rocking backward. And both positions put a strain on the QL. So really work on the position of your, your posture and then notice how your movement patterns might make that worse. So are you, when you're moving from the hip, like if I were saying yoga, if I was in a crescent lunge with my left leg forward and my right leg behind me, can you feel like put your hand on your right low back in the, where the QL is and kind of fill that out as opposed to shorten it. Then try and really make that right glute fire, make it work as opposed to letting it tip and shorten the QL more. So working the muscles that you want to work instead of recruiting the QL for trying to stabilize all the time and, and move the hip is going to help a lot. So the QL is a fascinating muscle, set of muscles, and you need to uh, make sure that posture is, is on par and that you're working on it all the time. 
that's all for now. As always, love answering your questions. I get a lot and I try and uh, go through them and see which ones are newer and more novel and would be helpful for the general population. So please send them to me either by Instagram messaging when I ask on on Instagram for any questions, but you can always also email me at laura at movementbylaura.com. Hugs, pulling for you as always. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.